Today's Bible passage comes in two different parts, the first one being Romans 5, 1 to 11, the second being Romans 8, 17 to 30. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. And now the the second passage. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what we already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our heart knows, the hearts knows the minds of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Thanks, Josh. Morning, everyone. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, we're, we're finishing off a sermon series where we've been looking at some of the questions that people might ask about how the Bible presents God. So for example, how can Christians believe in miracles or or how can we believe in a God who sends his own son to die? We're finishing with the question of why a God who is good and and who is in in control of all things could allow the sort of suffering that we see 
not just in the Bible, but all around us in the world today. We've seen the immense suffering caused in our country by bushfires over the last few months. Some of us have been directly affected by that. And we see some of the heartbreaking footage and and interviews with people in the aftermath of these events. And, And we think, why would God allow this? Why does God let children get cancer? Why does he let people struggle with mental health conditions? Why does he look on while people live in severe poverty, while people are killed in horrific acts of genocide? For all of us, the question of suffering is a personal one. It's not a topic that we can do justice by discussing it in a theoretical, removed kind of way, because suffering, whether it's happening to us or to people we love or or to anyone, it makes us cry out to God, why do you allow this to happen? For many people, and and perhaps this, this includes you as well, suffering is evidence that if God exists, he can't be good and sovereign. If God could do something to stop suffering, but he chooses not to, then how can he possibly be good? Now, even if that's not your view, suffering confronts us, doesn't it? When we see it in the world around us, we wonder how God could possibly see fit to allow it to happen. And when we experience it ourselves, it can rock our faith and and cause us to be angry at the God who allows this to happen. Now, the Bible takes suffering very seriously. It doesn't try to sweep suffering under the carpet and, and downplay it. The Bible gives a powerful voice to human suffering. We hear the passionate cries of the Israelites in slavery in Egypt and then later on in exile in Babylon. We, we read the book of Job as well, where Job cries out in response to, to what appears to be senseless, cruel and unfair suffering that he goes through. Why is light given to those in misery? Job asks. Sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. I have no peace, only turmoil. These are the real words of a real person going through real suffering. So many of the Psalms as well contain vivid expressions of pain and agony. Paul, who wrote the book of Romans that we've just read from, suffered in extraordinary ways in his life as well. And so he doesn't write these words from the comfort of a pain-free life. And the church who he was writing to would experience severe and violent persecution in the years to come as well. So the Bible takes suffering seriously, and so do we. But rather than turning us away from God, I want us to see that suffering should show us our deep need for him. It should drive us into his loving arms and heighten our longing for the wonderful promises, uh, for his wonderful promises to be fulfilled and for suffering to be done away with once and for all. Now, I realize this is a very raw topic that we're thinking about, and nothing I say is intended to trivialize any suffering that that anyone here has endured or or seen loved ones go through or even even just heard about. I'm not trying to argue that suffering isn't that bad or anything like that, but rather that God is still good in spite of it. And it's importantly, important, firstly, to understand the nature of ourselves and the world we live in. And that is that we're broken people living in a broken world. 
How does Paul describe people in Romans chapter 5? He describes them, well, us really, as ungodly, verse 6. Sinners, verse 8. How does he describe the world? In Romans 8, verse 20, it's a world subjected to frustration and decay. It's a broken world. So what Paul is saying is there's something wrong with us and the world we live in. And that problem is called sin. It traces all the way back to Adam and Eve deciding to do things their way instead of God's way. Because that's the heart of what sin is. It's wanting to do things my way instead of God's. And the consequence of sin is that it ruins our relationships. Because God made us to be in perfect relationship with him, with each other, and with the created world. And sin ruins that. It wrecks our relationship with God because it's a rejection of him. It's us pushing God away and wanting to do things our own way. It wrecks our relationships with each other. And it wrecks our relationship with the created world that we live in as well. And that's reflected in our observations and our experiences of suffering. Sometimes the suffering that we go through is self-inflicted. It's a a direct result of something that that I've done. Sometimes it's inflicted on us by other people, whether that's accidentally or or on purpose. Sometimes it's simply a result of the brokenness of the world we live in. And then sometimes it's a combination of, of some of those things. But in every case, the root cause of suffering is the fall, the broken relationship between us and God. It's not how God made things to be, and as we'll see, it's not how things are going to end up either. But even if suffering is a consequence of the fall, why does God allow it to happen? Now, it would be wrong to think that we can always explain God's exact reason for why a particular suffering happens, but the Bible does show that God has purposes for it. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. So often, Suffering is God's means of shaping our character. There's a similar idea in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, where the writer of that book compares the hardships in life with a father disciplining his children. The point being that God uses those hardships to grow our character. Now, no one likes it when their their parents punish them, but when parental discipline is done well, it shapes us positively doesn't it? A child who never gets disciplined is going to be completely unprepared for life in the real world as an adult. And my observation would be that there's a depth of character that's, that's so often visible in people who have suffered greatly that it's rarely present in the same way in people who haven't. Now, of course, this isn't unique to Christianity. We've all heard the saying that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and I'm sure we've all heard interviews on secular media where um, people have shared about how suffering has grown them as a person. It's ultimately shaped them for the good. The key difference, though, is what that character then produces. Hope. Suffering drives us to hope, to recognize our need for God's provision and rescue, and to long for what he's promised us. 
And then, of course, we have the wonderful words of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The Christian who's suffering can be certain that God is using this. He doesn't waste our suffering. It's a wonderful assurance of God's sovereignty and and words that I've clung to very tightly at times when I've had nothing else. What's God's purpose in all of this? It's to make us more like Jesus. Verse 29, to be conformed to the image of his son. So suffering is part of God's ongoing process of making us more and more like Jesus. Now, throughout the Bible, God works through suffering. We see it. At Impact Youth Camp this year, we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Uh, Joseph spends years in an Egyptian prison, um, even though he's innocent, which must have seemed to him like pointless and, and unfair suffering to go through. And not to spoil too much of it for those who are coming along, along on camp, but God brings immense good out of it in the end. Many lives are saved. Years later, a man is born blind, and he lives for years and years not being able to see. The reason for it, we see in John's Gospel, chapter 9, is not, it's not a punishment for this man or for his parents for anything that they've done wrong, but rather so that God is glorified when Jesus heals that man. Paul, the same guy that wrote Romans, wrote another letter called 2 Corinthians. And in it, he talks about God giving him a thorn in his flesh. Now, there's various theories going around on what exactly that thorn was. But it's clear that it was, it was some sort of ongoing suffering that Paul had to go through. So why did God do this? Why did he not take it away, even when Paul begged him to remove it from him? Well, Paul says... It was so that he would be humbly reminded that in his human weakness, it's God's strength that he truly relies on. Suffering would keep Paul depending on God every step of the way. Okay, so suffering may have some purpose for people who are followers of Jesus, but what if I'm not a Christian? Why, why should I have to suffer then? Well, in Luke's gospel, in chapter 13, we read of a couple of horrible events that happened during Jesus' lifetime, events that would have been front-page news in his day. Firstly, there's a mass slaughter of some seemingly innocent Jews by some Roman soldiers. And then there's a tower that collapses and and 18 people are killed by it. Both are tragic events by any standards. Jesus' explanation of these events is firstly that these people were no more deserving of death than anyone else. And that's an important point to make. The fact that someone is going through suffering, is, it doesn't mean that they've done something wrong, that they're being directly punished for. It can be very unhelpful uh, to make that assumption that if people are going through suffering, it's a direct punishment for something. So firstly, the people weren't any more deserving of death than anyone else. But secondly, these events served as a warning Unless you repent, you too will all perish, Jesus says. So suffering is supposed to make us aware of the fallen world that we live in and our need for the God who made us for so much more. C.S. Lewis, the guy who wrote the Narnia books, also wrote a book about pain and suffering. 
And one of his reflections was that pain can be God's megaphone to wake up a deaf world. He says that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences, but he shouts to us in our pains. Obviously, we've had the bushfires going on over the the last few months, which has been a a big thing for all of us, whether we've been directly affected or not. And and during those times, it's... One of my big prayers in it has been that God would send rain and that he would send appropriate weather conditions to to put out the fires and that he'd be comforting and and protecting those who are affected by it. That's a a very appropriate thing to pray, and I'm I'm sure many of us have been been praying that. It's also appropriate to pray, though, that that God will be using this suffering to speak to people, to be able to, to wake people up to the brokenness of the world and their need for him. Now, the Bible doesn't explain our suffering in the, the black and white terms that we might like. It, it shows us, broadly speaking, that, that God has purposes for suffering, but it doesn't promise us specific answers in the here and now. This is the experience of a guy called Job in the Old Testament. And if you're familiar with the book of Job, he's, he's a man who suffers despite being faithful to God. And he cries out to God. He questions, God, why are you allowing this suffering to happen to me? Towards the end of the book, God actually comes down and appears to Job. But he doesn't give Job an explanation of why the suffering has happened. He doesn't give him a blow-by-blow description of why everything has happened. Instead, he asks Job, who are you to question me? Were you there when I created the world and the universe and everything in them? Who are you to think that you can understand my ways? And in God's presence, Job admits that he was wrong to question God. Job never gets told the exact reason why he suffered. We're just told that God has a wisdom and a perspective that we don't. He's above time and space. He sees the whole scene, not just our limited view. It takes deep faith and humility for us to live comfortably with this. But we can take comfort from times in our own lives or or the lives of other people when suffering has made no sense at the time. But later on, we've seen that good has come from it. As I think about people I know who have become Christians as adults, more often than not, Suffering has been a crucial part of that. Suffering has been God's megaphone in their lives, waking them up to their need for him. Personally, I suffered from chronic fatigue for about two years in my my late teens. It was a horrific experience to go through, but God used it to show me my need for him at a time when I just wasn't living for him at all. Not only was it crucial in my faith, but it helped me understand what people who suffer from fatigue are experiencing, including Alicia, my wife, now. And so my suffering then has equipped me to be a husband now in a way that nothing else could have. There's no book that you can read that, that teaches you how to, how to understand that sort of thing. So that's just a small example of how a decade of hindsight has really turned on its head how I've thought about an experience of suffering that I went through. How much more with God's full view picture of everything can we trust that even when things don't make sense now, 
God is working through it for his good purposes. God is sovereignly working through his purposes for suffering. Um, still, a loving God and the suffering that he allows to happen, there's, there's a tension going on there, isn't there? Love and suffering just seem at odds with each other. But ironically, the evidence of God's love is that a good person suffered. A truly good person, not an ungodly sinner, but a perfect person, Jesus. And not simply that Jesus suffered, but that he suffered for us. Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? So that instead of being God's enemies, we're reconciled to him. We're brought back into relationship with him. And we're justified. We're declared innocent in his sight. The only way that that could happen was by our sin, the sin that stood like a mountain between us and God. That sin being placed on Jesus. Jesus bearing God's punishment for for our sin instead of us. Only Jesus' death on the cross could do that. It could save us and make us right with God. And so the only person who never deserved to suffer, suffered for us. What the cross shows us, and and this is really important to understand, is that God isn't simply working from a higher vantage point and, and working out all the details while we suffer down here. God isn't this divine chess master who's happy to to sacrifice a few pawns to get where he's going in the end. He came down and won the battle off his own bat. And that's why even though suffering grieves us and perplexes us no end, we can't conclude from it that God isn't good because the cross proves to us that he is. And in a funny way, our sufferings actually help us understand something of what Jesus experienced on our behalf, for Jesus, the Son of God, to experience his Father's wrath. That was unimaginable suffering. And our sufferings help us just to begin to understand what it means that he loved us enough to suffer for us. See, if we didn't know what it was to suffer, his suffering really wouldn't mean that much to us. There's a warning here as well, and that is that Jesus has borne the punishment for our sins so that we don't have to. If we've put our trust in him and if we've committed to living with him as our Lord, we don't have to bear the punishment for our sins. But if we haven't repented, if we haven't turned away from our sin and turned towards Jesus in faith, then our sins aren't dealt with, which means that we'll need to bear the punishment ourselves for it. And so in that sense, suffering isn't the infliction of an unloving God, but rather it's the severe warning of a loving God. Suffering now is just a foretaste of what it is to reject God and to be rejected by him on that last day. It's a serious warning. But there's a wonderful flip side to it as well. Because Jesus didn't just die, he was raised back to life. And the resurrection impacts how we think about suffering. Have a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 18. We see that Paul tells us that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. When we've been resurrected to new life 
just as Jesus was. We've got new heavenly bodies. We're fully adopted as God's children. The worst of our suffering will seem like nothing in comparison. Now, in light of the terrible sufferings that so many people go through in this world, and perhaps the terrible sufferings that you've gone through yourself, this seems like a flippant and highly insensitive thing for Paul to say. Unless it's true. Heaven is just impossible to humanly comprehend, isn't it? We, we know that it's going to be great, but we can't adequately visualize it. There's no artist's impression or, or poem that, that quite expresses just how wonderful heaven's going to be. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, for me, is one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible for thinking about what heaven will be like. It's mind-blowing to think that heaven could be so good that even the worst of sufferings on earth aren't even worth comparing. It calls us to a perspective far beyond what we can see now. Because when tragedy comes or, or when hardships come our way, I can't fathom how something can be so good that it isn't worth comparing with this. I can't comprehend how depression, stillborn babies, Cambodian killing fields, tsunamis, starvation, how, how the suffering caused by all of these things and so much more in the world isn't worth comparing with the coming glory. We have to take it on faith. I don't mean a, a blind faith, because it's a faith that hinges on Jesus' resurrection, and there's plenty of really good evidence that that happened. But it's a faith that goes beyond what we can see, what we can feel, what we can touch, even what we can imagine. This is the hope that sustains us, the hope that character produces, the hope that will never, ever put us to shame because Christ died for the ungodly, and he's coming again in glory. Even knowing, though, that God's goodness is shown at the cross and that hope is provided by the resurrection, suffering now is still hard. There's nothing I've said in the last few minutes that's intended to downplay that in any way. Suffering is really, really difficult. But God is with us in it. Father, Son, and Spirit Jesus, God the Son, knows our pains and our struggles. He experienced rejection, death, illness, all of the messiness that we live with now. And he's in heaven right now at his Father's side, interceding for all of his people. And if we've put our trust in Jesus, then we have the Holy Spirit who pours out God's love into our hearts. He gives us the assurance of God's love which was shown to us at the cross. And when we don't know what to pray, in those moments that we'll all experience at some point when we're just overwhelmed by circumstances, he intercedes for us. He prays on our behalf to the Father, the Father who is working through all things, the good and the bad, to bring about his purposes, shaping us, to be more like Jesus, preparing us for that day when there'll be no more tears, no more pain, and no more crying. I'm going to pray in a moment to finish. After that, the band are going to play a reflective song, which Peter has chosen for this topic. And the words of this song 
take our pain, the pain of the burdened world that we live in, and they hand it over to Jesus. We look forward to that day when he's going to return, he's going to make all things new, and he's going to bring us everlasting joy. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that we can have in suffering, the knowledge that even when difficult times come our way, even when when things can rock us, when circumstances can overwhelm us, that we can look to the cross and know that you are good. Please help us in those difficult times to, to know your love by your spirit, to know that Jesus understands our suffering, that he intercedes for us, and that you are working through all things for your glory and for our good. We pray that you would sustain us, that you would fill us with the knowledge of your goodness, and that you would give us what we need in those moments, that you would give us the right words to encourage other people when they go through suffering, and that rather than suffering turning us away from you, that it would draw us into your loving arms, that it would make us long for that day when you will make all things new. In Jesus' name, amen.